But we should probably address, Matt, the fact that Rue isn't here. The the skateboarder dude is not in the building. But we should say that it is because he is on vacation, on holiday. Yeah. And not because he had any sort of horrible complications with his surgery. I mean, that is true. The idea that he is missing in this podcast while talking about his surgery in the last one is quite worrying. Yes. Uh, But to allay all those fears, uh, he is okay. He does have a big old cast on his foot. I'm sure... Everybody can sign it when they meet him in person. Definitely. Don't you worry, folks. All right. Well, I don't think we need to cover him anymore. I think he gets enough airtime already. <laughs> Rue is actually texting me. He's on vacation, but he's texting me so much that it is making my, my watch and iPad and phone and everything in front of me. I mean, if he can do that, he can join us for the podcast. Trying to record a podcast here. Shut up. <laughs> There we go. I just sent him a message. P.S. I love you. I I mean, I don't tell him that outside the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about the listener survey. I mean, we had over 150 entries, uh, which, you know. How do you feel about that, man? I feel like we are quite a niche podcast. I don't think there is a, a massive market for a password-based podcast. And I'm okay with that. I've, I've made my peace <laughs> with that long ago. But that, for me, is, is a good haul. Uh, we've, we've, you know, we've got all that feedback. Yeah, we're going to take it all on board and, and get rid of Rue. I, I think that's what it said, right? Uh, I think that was the... There was lots of comments about Rue, but none of them were specifically stating that we should get rid of him. More make him suffer through more games, I think it it, it, it really was. And one of them about making him wear a funny hat. Yeah, that was one of my favourite bits of feedback, was just simply make Rue wear a random funny hat. Which would require video as well, unless they (laughs) appreciate the audio of him just sounding awkward with a funny hat. But yeah, I'm pretty flabbergasted at 150 entries, and I think I said it on the last podcast, but anyone that takes the time these days to fill in a form has my respect. That is true. And everybody has a feedback form these days. They do. So many of them. So yes, out of those 150 entries, I have picked four winners at random. And uh, I sent out the winners emails this morning. So if you haven't received an email from me, then I'm sorry. You can probably assume that you haven't won this time round. But a huge thank you to everyone who did take the time to enter. And we are, as Matt said, taking all your feedback on board. Yeah. I mean, we'll have more competitions. So I think it's... I think it's all right. Just keep entering. Exactly. Yeah. The future top limit capacity of audience for this show is that that if you listen to it for a long time, and I mean, if you if you read the survey, nearly what was it, fifty percent has been listening for over two years. Over fifty percent. Yeah. So I mean, you know, just keep entering. <laughs> We'll run out of people eventually, yeah. Yeah, you'll get there eventually. And uh, official random but memorable swag is going to be on the way at some point. It's in the works. I I feel like that's a a big promise to make. (laughs) Is this further along than I think it is? Because, like, you know, I haven't seen it yet. No. That's at the point where I start believing is is the seeing. You have to manifest it, Matt, in your mind. I hope you've had a, a, you know, a heavy hand in, in selecting this swag as well like i'm thinking like some obscure like ski goggles maybe (laughs) like 
Random but memorable ski goggles. Okay. Um, I, I just feel like a t-shirt is overdone. Anything useless, basically. Dog coats. Dog coats. Dog coats are going to be huge next year. And <laughs> I feel like everybody who listens to, to Random but Memorable will want one. Just like our comically large Random but Memorable stickers. They're just so big, you just don't know what to do with them. No, you can put them on your car. Okay. I think that's what everybody will do. They're not the ones that are inside out, you know, the ones that are sticky on the actual graphic so you can put it mm. inside your car. So you're just going to have to put it on the outside of your car. It might peel the paint off. <laughs> um, it's a risk you have to be willing to take. I think so, yeah. So we did get some some wonderful feedback from the survey and I wondered whether we should just read out a few of our favourites, a few of our favourite bits of feedback. Okay, go for it. So first one, Rue's unbelievably poor luck in games makes for wonderful content. <sighs> That is true. Agreed, totally. And uh, catered open bar while I listen would be nice. 100% agree again. We're recording this at 2.15 in the afternoon, which, as the rule goes, it is five o'clock somewhere. Exactly. Or 2pm somewhere. <laughs> Go on, you, you share a few, Matt. Okay. I mean, I, I'm going to share two that are generally about us. So uh, I, I really like just hearing the hosts talk to each other. They have a great dynamic. I <laughs> <laughs> that in English, please, Matt? I tried to read it backwards and it didn't work. I really like just hearing the hosts talk to each other. They have a really great dynamic. Another one said, I really enjoy the chemistry amongst, among the producers. So that's good. That's good. It is perfect. Don't change it was another one. I know. I mean. Don't change a single. I mean, we probably will change a few things based on this feedback. I actually love just changing it up all the time. <laughs> I, I, I think a new game gets, you know, fresh or it's terrible. Yeah. And that is kind of better, you know. I can't even remember all the games anymore. Wow. That's how many we've done. 83 episodes. We did a play your passwords, right? There was something about no. Real or not real. <laughs> we did real or not real. Three word password. We did three word password. What the phrase. What the... F oh, that was a good one. I enjoyed that one. That was the first ever game, I believe. I think we're as we create new games, we are moving further into... Passwords. Niche password yeah. related things, yeah. Because real or not real was good, but the, the link was very tangential at that point. It was. We have more feedback that says, I would love more tips and tricks on 1Password. It's really cool that a software I enjoy has a podcast and I have taken on board a lot of the tips you have shared in the past. Even going as far as changing my email provider to Fastmail to benefit from your integration with masked email. That was sent from mike at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's great. We should definitely do more of that. Yeah, more tips and tricks in the future. Yeah. Another one said, uh, love, the, love the show, of course. Play your passwords right was the best game. I think Rue would disagree with that. <laughs> I think Rue would disagree with that. I, I played it at a couple of team events. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, thanks yeah. for that. I would love to hear more about upcoming features and featurettes on the podcast. Uh, well, yeah, you know, today you're in for a treat about 1Password University. So there yeah. we go. Another one saying, you should revive the higher-lower game. <laughs> Rue's reactions were hilarious, but build him up again between episodes. Right. Oof. That one is a little sadistic, really, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, right, let's be honest. He's not going to win those games. We played it for long enough to know that he wouldn't. Uh, and then what ended up happening would be that we would just, like, build him up. And then essentially just knock him back down again. Another one. The games are always fun to listen to. Maybe a rotation of them. The time Rue scored zero was epic. I'm noticing a theme or a trend here. <laughs> I think so. There needs to be a blooper episode or a segment every other episode that contains the outbreaks 
from the episodes. While most news shared is doom and gloom, there is nothing better than the banter between you all. Right, I take issue with this. Uh, we are such a refined machine at this point mm. that there are no blo- bloopers. All, all of my jokes get included, and uh, there is very little editing that needs to be done to this show. You're contradicting yourself in <laughs> many, many ways here, <laughs> Contradicting myself because I took two attempts to say that sentence. Oh, games that Rue enjoys are equally entertaining as those he hates, which is nice. Having played computer games with Rue as well, I, I can actually, like, that. that is true. Uh, he, he really <laughs> does. I think he enjoys winning and losing equally. Nice. I love how much fun you guys make the show. I think it makes the show and helps bring a little bit of fun to this technical subject. That's good. I'm, I'm glad we're able to do that. Yeah. All right. Have we done enough of this? I, I think one more. You're one of the few corporate podcasts. <laughs> I mean, that's a genre that we fit into. I enjoy listening to. I listen to every episode when I'm not in podcast bankruptcy mode. Oh, I've been there. Yeah. Also, on that note, your podcast has survived several purges. Using the random but memorable language, Rue, I love you. Have a great day, beautiful people. Oh, Aww. that's very nice. A nice one to end on. As if I didn't love our listeners already. I uh, know. I think that's just great. It makes my heart feel full. Okay. Should we get on to some, you know, depressing Watchtower Weekly? How to the balance uh, us out, yeah. privacy of the world is ending and uh, how nothing is actually secure? Yes. The yin and the yang of the world. <laughs> <laughs> this first one is the FBI's email system was hacked to send out fake cybersecurity warnings. It's reported by The Verge. Hackers targeted the FBI's email services, sending out thousands of phony messages saying that its recipients have become the victims of a sophisticated chain attack. The emails were initially uncovered by the Spamfus. Spam house? Spam who's? Spam house. I'm going to give that a 6 out of 10 on the name here. I can't pronounce it, but it's a good name, yeah. In my head, it's a house made of spam. (laughs) A different kind of spam. Yeah. It's a non-profit organisation that investigates email spammers. The emails claim that Vinnie Troyer was behind the fake attacks and also falsely state that Troyer is associated with the infamous hacking group, the Dark Overlord. That's that's a pretty good one. Uh, No. Four out of ten. Oh. Yeah, no. The Dark Overlord. Come on. It's pretty epic. I mean, they're not in Lord of the Rings. They're sat in front of a computer thinking that they're smarter than everybody else. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not enjoying that one. Well, agree to disagree. <laughs> they are the same bad actors who leaked the fifth season of Orange is the New Black. Probably should have kept that one to themselves. Uh, <laughs> in reality, Troyer is a prominent cybersecurity researcher who runs two dark web companies, uh, security companies, Night Lion and Shadowbite. So in actual fact, he's much better at naming than the Dark Overlord. (laughs) So these hackers managed to send out emails to over 100,000 addresses, all of which were scraped from the American Registry for Internet Numbers database. A report from Bloomberg says that the hackers used the FBI public-facing email system, making the email seem all more legitimate. Cybersecurity researcher Kevin Beaumont also attests to the email's legitimate appearance, stating that the headers are authenticated, coming from FBI servers using the domain keys identified mail, DKIM, that's part of the system that Gmail uses to stick brand logos onto corporate, like verified corporate emails. The FBI responded to the incident, noting that it's an ongoing situation and that the impacted hardware was taken offline. This, this is kind of terrifying. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I think it's great to use an email service and not roll your own email. Um, mm. Because, you know, if the FBI can't do it, 
<laughs> There's no reason why you should believe that you as an individual could do it. I imagine this one would have been a pretty easy one to fall for with how legitimate the emails looked and also coming from quite a trusted institution that is the FBI. Yeah, we can link in the show notes to what the emails look like. They're not like an HTML email with you know graphics on and all that kind of stuff. There's not a whole bunch of like actions from the email. Like there's no button to click that is a phishing attack or, or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying that this can happen. It is. But uh, yeah, I mean, this could have been used for a lot worse, I think. Mm. I mean, I don't want to give him ideas, but you know. <laughs> yeah. I uh, Stop there, Matt. I don't like this at all. So this next one, the self-driving smart suitcase that the person behind you can hijack. Uh, this one's from Naked Security. The Internet of Things has become infamous for providing us a case of, of three outcomes. Connected products that we didn't know we needed, connected products that we purchased anyway, and connected products that ended up disconnected in a cupboard. And it's not hard to get sucked into the novelty of these products. So when researchers at Pentest Partners spotted a digital suitcase called the Airwheel SR5, I, I, I mean, first of all, I love the Airwheel. Yeah. You know, that's a good name for a suitcase. It's better than like RX VR7. <laughs> so they bought one, and, and who can resist a, a Bluetooth-enabled self-driving robot suitcase? Um, why drag your carry-on luggage behind you when you can simply strap on a Bluetooth wristband and let the luggage follow you through the airport, steering its way around obstacles. Well, Pentest Partners quickly found out that one reason why you might want to not trust this in a busy airport is namely that it wasn't very accurate. So while it made vaguely confident progress, it didn't hold its course very well, weaving offline and bumping into things, and generally just wasn't great. It was part of a design flaw, namely that the SR5 allows itself to be paired with two different devices at the same time, which is an unusual but nice Bluetooth achievement. It does have inadequate security controls over the pairing process as well. All of this is kind of terrifying because that's your luggage and you are kind of just hoping that it's behind you or... It doesn't work very well, right? If you're constantly looking over your shoulder and like, would you take a dog into the airport off a lead or would you like, you know, constantly be worrying about where it is? Yeah. yeah. I seem to have the worst luck with airport luggage as it is, let alone with a smart suitcase. Surely that just adds to the levels of things that can go wrong. The problem as well is that they're not the gentlest of couriers. I do find that my luggage does get you know, thrown onto a plane in a hurry, which I kind of think it should, right? Like it should stand up to this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The the SR5 basically comes with a supplied wristband that will follow you around autonomously. You might not need its other feature, but it also allows you to, you know, drive it around the airport concourse like a remote controlled car. That bit is is going to get you in trouble, I feel. Like they don't like baggage unattended in an airport. I feel like it's going to be even worse if you start driving your baggage around in the direction of people. And also, like, they don't even let you on to an airplane with over 100 mil of liquid these days. Are they going to allow something that seemingly has a mind of its own? Yeah, the the new one is um, batteries, obviously, uh, lithium batteries. So, I mean, you know, what's the battery on this thing? Must be a decent amount. And, and of course, when the battery runs out, I mean, really, this is just a terrible idea all around. Specifically, this story is talking about that someone else can essentially get into your suitcase by pairing their phone with your luggage. 
and simply drive it off. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it comes with a secret pin to stop people doing this. Any idea what the secret pin is? Well, I'm going to guess it's 111 one, one something. Uh, it is 111111111. Bonus. What do I win? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Ventest Partners also discovered uh, that the suitcase's firmware doesn't seem to be digitally signed, which could then allow rogue firmware updates, you know, potentially tracking beacons or anything to be put in there. So if you really need a self-driving suitcase, maybe just wait a couple of years when we're all moving around on scooters and <laughs> anything like that. I think if you do have this suitcase... The tip is to change the secret pin, but also just keep an eye on any erratic behaviour from your suitcase. If it has a life of its own, you know, suspect something. It's kind of terrifying, isn't it? That someone could just... Yeah. When I first read into this story, I thought, oh, it sounds pretty cool. Like all IoT and smart devices. I'm like, yeah, sounds like I might need that in my life. And then you read a little bit more about how... It could be vulnerable and it leaves you feeling a little bit uneasy. All right, I'm on the website for this thing now. Little bit of critique coming. First of all, these are the features that it has. It has a wheel endurance test. It has a load rolling test. It has a temperature change test uh, and a smog and humidity test. I'm not sure whether these are things that they do to the suitcase before or whether these are things you can run from the computer that is the smart robot of your suitcase. Mm. But the the other aspect is that they call it an innovative, innovative, innovative. Why can't I say that word? <laughs> it's algorithm all over again. It's an innovative. <laughs> innovative. They wanted a new style of opening and closing. Okay. Innovation at its best. So uh, there's a zip on the front. There we go. Oh, Wow. Yeah. I haven't got a suitcase that's got a zip on the front. The, the takeaway really should be just don't buy a self-driving robot suitcase. It's not 2030 just yet. <laughs> okay, so this next one, moving back to the, to the serious nature. Booking.com was reportedly hacked by a US intelligence agency, but never told customers. So this is on Ars Technica. A hacker working for the US intelligence agency breached the services of Booking.com in 2016 and stole user data related to the Middle East, according to a book published on Thursday. The book also says that the online travel agency opted to keep the incident secret. So Amsterdam-based Booking.com made the decision after calling in the Dutch intelligence service to investigate the data breach. On the advice of legal counsel, the company didn't notify effective customers or the Dutch Data Protection Authority. Booking.com wasn't legally required to do so because no sensitive or financial information was accessed. IT specialists working for Booking.com told a different story, according to the book The Machine Under the Spell of Booking.com. The book's authors, three journalists at the Dutch newspaper NRC, report that the internal name for the breach was the PIN leak because the breach involved stolen pins from reservations. The book also said that the person behind the hack accessed thousands of hotel reservations, including Middle Eastern countries, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates. The data disclosed involved names of Booking.com customers and their travel plans. If you ask me, that that is pretty sensitive information. So two months after the breach... Uh, U.S. private investigators helped Booking.com's security department determine that the hacker was an American who worked for a company that carried out assignments from U.S. intelligence services. Data relating to hotels and travel 
has long been highly sought after commodity amongst hackers working for nation states. In 2013, an NSA whistleblower revealed Royal Concierge, a program of spies from Britain's GCHQ, that tracked bookings at 350 upscaled hotels across the world. The spies used the data to identify the hotels of where targets were staying so that field operatives could then plant bugs in their rooms. This is all getting very James Bond. <laughs> in 2014, Kaspersky Labs disclosed Dark Hotel, a years-long campaign that used hotel Wi-Fi networks to infect the devices of targeted guests with the aim of gaining access to a company's sensitive information. The people behind Dark Hotel, likely working on behalf of a nation-state, have shown a particular interest in political officials and global C-level executives. I mean... <laughs> All of that is is terrifying to to unpack. Yeah, I know this sounds very targeted, but it's still a shame that huge companies like this choose not to disclose these kinds of things. And I know they gave the excuse that they weren't legally required to do so because no sensitive or financial information was accessed, but seems like a pretty terrible excuse in my opinion. They obviously didn't want to suffer any negativity from the PR in this case. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that hotels are a kind of a hive of information. And when you when you think about it, like the comings and goings of people and like the fact that your hotel is never going to be as secured as your office or your home, it's actually quite a, you know, a devious thing to do. Like this person is going to be here at this location at this time. So, uh, yeah, quite terrifying. Yeah, and, and and also connected to this Wi-Fi network. Yeah. If you really are kind of susceptible to this type of attack, if it's in your threat model, then 5G is becoming much better at kind of having a private network mm. uh, attaching your laptop to your to your phone and that type of thing. I I'm always wary of of joining the Wi-Fi in in hotels. Yeah. Even more wary of the uh charge your phone (laughs) charge your usb yeah just just put all your usbs in in this it's like the tech equivalent of uncovering things with the uv light you never quite know (laughs) what you're getting yourself into there (laughs) it really is so this last one is a is a biggie as well so godaddy says that a data breach exposed over a million user accounts web hosting giant godaddy has reported a data breach and warns that 1.2 million customers may have been accessed. In a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, GoDaddy's chief information security officer said that the company detected unauthorized access to its systems where it hosts and manages its customers' WordPress servers. WordPress is, of course, the uh, web-based content management system used by millions to set up blogs or websites. GoDaddy lets its customers host their own WordPress installs on their servers. So GoDaddy said the unauthorized person used a compromised password to get access to GoDaddy systems around September 6th. GoDaddy says it then discovered the breach on November 17th and it's not clear if the compromised password was protected with two-factor authentication or how they go around that. Mm. Uh, The filing said that the breach affected 1.2 million active and inactive managed WordPress users who had their email addresses and customer numbers exposed. Oh, This is a bad one. Yeah. Uh, So GoDaddy said that this exposure could put users at greater risk of phishing attacks. The web host also said that the original WordPress admin password created when WordPress was first installed could also be used to access a customer's WordPress server. I mean, that that bit is a little bit 
Like, if you have installed WordPress on a host like GoDaddy and you have left it with the original, like, root password, you have opened yourself up to everything already. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the breach of your email address doesn't really add much to that. The company said that active customers had their SFTP credentials for file transfers and the usernames and passwords for all their WordPress databases, which store all the user's content exposed in the breach. In some cases, the customer's SSL, their HTTPS private key, was exposed, which, if abused, could be allow an attacker to impersonate a customer's website or services. Ouch. Uh, So GoDaddy said it's reset its customers' WordPress passwords and private keys and is in the process of issuing new SSL certificates. So there we go. Like, they're replacing everything that that got added into the breach. But the important thing to remember here is that they have your email address and context of how best to use it in a phishing attack. And that, once they change all, all of these other things, will still exist. So I think if you do have a GoDaddy WordPress website... Or you've set one up in your life. If you're a developer and people ask you for websites all the day, if you've ever set one of these up, maybe time to just contact that person and be like, hey, just be on the look for these things. Yeah. Because, you know, now they know it's GoDaddy. Now they know your email address. They could make it really convincing. Yeah. I mean, this just shows the carnage that just one singular compromised password can have in the case of GoDaddy and I really hope, at the very least, the compromised password wasn't something like GoDaddy1. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Let's hope it no, was I, at least randomly so. generated. Yeah. But if it wasn't, then maybe we need to get into. I think um, it was probably a secure password at one point that has just been included in a data breach somewhere else. These things have such knock-on effects. A service where this password might have been reused or or something similar. Like, I think as well as a password manager, really using something like Have I Been Pwned, which is built into One Password Watchtower, but using that to check whether that password has been, is vulnerable because it's been in other data breaches, I think is really important. That was a nice way to close up Watchtower Weekly with a plug there. I think so. Joining me on the show today are Jay and Brandon from our sales team. They're here today to talk about the launch of our free online learning platform, OnePassword University. Everything it offers and the exciting things that we can learn from it in the future. So welcome to the show. How are you both? Hey, thanks for having us. Hey, thanks, Matt. Doing well. So before we get too much into it, can you introduce our listeners to OnePassword University if they haven't heard of it? It seems to be all over my Twitter feed at the moment from everybody who's mentioning it. If they haven't seen or heard about it, the full scope of the platform, who can use it and what sort of courses are available? Yeah, so OnePassword University, simple answer is it's available for everybody. It's an online platform to learn about best practices and security. If you want to go deeper into OnePassword and learn how to start your business, uh, get everything up and running. If you want to use it as a consumer, just to know how passwords are cracked and kind of get a little deeper into the cybersecurity world, it's free for everybody. And sort of our first foray into it, we're pretty excited about it. Both Jay and I are super passionate about learning and development and kind of spreading that stuff out there. So simple answer is it's for everybody. So anyone wants to go in, it's pretty easy to get into it. And I think that's like, that's the best call out there, Brendan is that like it is for everybody but we like to take it a step further and say 
It's for people who don't even necessarily use 1Password, right? It's for literally any person on the planet that wants to learn how to improve their security posture or just stay safer online. Do we hope that people will inevitably <laughs> use our product in the end? Sure. But we just want people to come in and learn something valuable. That's great. I'm all for education from the design side. I'm, I'm constantly trying to push to more of this stuff in the product as well. So it'll be great to see how we can do that in the future. What's the experience like of, of using the platform? Like how are the, the courses designed? What's the type of content that you have? So we've gone back and forth about this. And I think the way that the courses are designed is they're meant to engage any type of learner, right? So we want them to have a mix of different types of learning content. One of the predominant kind of themes you'll see in Wapasser University is we focus on a concept called a learning plan. And so a learning plan is, you know, is a way for us at 1Password to kind of tell a learner, this is where we think you're going to get the most value out of learning these courses in this sequence that kind of take you on a journey from introductory learning kind of on like a micro scope into more broad technical topics. But really what, what we're trying to do at the end of the day is just make sure that a learner has a clear path to get the information that they need with a good balance of visual, auditory, kinesthetic. I think we're really just trying to make sure that the experience mirrors what world we're doing at 1Password because I think we do that part so well. Jay, what's your favorite course? Well, I'm interviewing. Maybe I got, I'm, I'm taking the wrong role here. <laughs> <laughs> I like anything that comes from like the thought leadership pieces of what we're doing. So when we divide the courses up, we look at it from a few different lenses. So we have kind of like this product marketing lens where we're focusing on some of the new features that are coming out and giving those a spotlight. We have the thought leadership piece, which is taking concepts that affect cybersecurity as a whole. And we're kind of just blowing those out and showing the broader impacts. And then we have kind of like your general how to use onboarding type content. So for me, I'm always more inclined to engage with the thought leadership pieces. I want to know not just about how the product affects cybersecurity, but I want to know about how passwords are cracked. I love building a culture of security, which impacts all of our B2B customers. But what about you though, Brandon? What's your what's your favorite course? For me, I think it's the, like similar. I, I like the thought leadership stuff, but I like the fundamentals, like how passwords are cracked for people that just don't necessarily understand the importance of a password manager or having good security practices online. Like I think that's the stuff that to me is, is really cool because if anybody's in there and just trying to learn more and get better, it helps businesses, it helps people, it helps my dad. So... Anybody that can learn a little more, I think those are my favorite and stuff like the families that we're slowly getting into some of those courses, like how to keep your family safe at home. Like that stuff is quite cool. Yeah, that's great to hear. What was the kind of the driving force to start this project? And what were you looking to kind of achieve from it? Yeah, I think it changed over time. Originally, so I joined 1Password a year and a half ago now. And Jay and I started working together and both passionate about learning and development and training, started building out like the onboarding course for go-to-market employees just to give them a little bit more information about 1Password. I started talking to customers too, just to understand the business, to understand what people's needs are. And it was sort of like everything coming together at the same time where I'd hear like, I wish we could just learn the way you guys learn. Or how do we give our employees more in terms of knowledge about 1Password and the industry and just sort of giving, you know, building up those fundamentals. And so it just sort of all came together, like, how can we do this for everybody? And then started looking around at tools, started looking at other companies that do similar things and do like online academies. Originally, we I think the idea was solely onboarding. And then over time, it became like, why don't we do more? Like, why don't we give this for free? Why don't we allow everybody to get in and start to learn about it? So yeah, it definitely evolved over time, but it just sort of kind of came together. I will say, I think that our original vision was for it to be for everybody. And then we kind of immediately thought, there's no way we're going to be able to do this. 
like there's just no way we're going to be able to tackle millions of users and, and that much content. So we, we started to narrow the focus. One important call is that we actually use the tool internally, which I love. And I think one of the main ideas backing that was we have, and I think this is symptomatic of a lot of companies, but we have knowledge living in different silos, right? And so it's, it's really, how do we get knowledge across a company landscape more effectively? And so we have tons of different teams in the company that are all collaborating inside the tool. They're all adding their own content. And then similarly, on the customer front, we have the ability to influence you know, a customer interaction and share some wisdom or share some knowledge that helps to improve somebody's life. But we're not getting the chance to do it proactively. We're waiting for someone to write into us. We're waiting for someone to engage with the product and say, like, hey, I like this. I don't like this, whatever it might be. So for us to be able to get ahead of the game and, and share this information that we have, because we have so many brilliant minds inside the company that can help to influence behavior and influence a security-focused mindset. But this is now a prime opportunity for us to do it. You know, it's a good call, Jay. We actually forgot, like, at the beginning, like, who is this for? We just went right for the for everybody but like specifically it's for all of our customers for anyone that finds it online it's for us our employees and then soon we're going to be having something for our partners as well so anyone that wants to like join one password as a partner will have the similar courses and certifications and stuff like that available to them as well I mean, but obviously this this project blossomed out of our out of our love for each other <laughs> of course yeah how can you not acknowledge that right so that's entirely apparent it's really interesting that we're using this internally at the same level. I, I think that just shows like how invested we are in this and how kind of scratching our own itch is built into our culture. This is no different. Obviously, when we approach these things, we try and we go out there and we look at you know what others have done. And the world of security training is a pretty bleak one in some areas. <laughs> I've definitely seen some rough versions of this. Is there anything like route that we looked down in the process of developing these courses that we thought was a good route to go down? I feel like we're kind of like right in the path for, especially as it pertains to cybersecurity, we're kind of right in that path as we go, <laughs> which I think has contributed to some of like the bumps in the road, which is, which is a welcome challenge. But I think we're inspired by a lot of other learning academies and a lot of companies that have done it really well. You know, HubSpot absolutely does an incredible learning academy. I think Shopify does a really great one as well. Those are two of the main standouts. Other companies that just do like a, a pure kind of onboarding experience. But we are trying to do something totally different here by having something entirely customer facing. A lot of the time, companies keep it to a purely internal purposes. Yeah, the only one I'd add there is too is LinkedIn Learning. There's another one too that, and they're kind of looking at all the different skill sets. But yeah, those are the ones, the big ones that jumped out at us because that's the other thing too is like, I think you were getting to this, Matt. It's like I've done security courses at different companies and they're no fun. Like some of them maybe, but they were made a long time ago. So we try to want to make the security training a little bit more engaging, a little bit more fun, kind of true to the one password brand in, in that regard. So those are the ones that we definitely benchmarked off of. What they've done has been pretty, pretty impressive. Is there anything you can kind of tell me about what's coming in the future and what we plan to build out next? Yeah, I mean, like we're, we we want to we want to figure out different ways to just engage the learner. Like I mentioned before, we're probably more narrow than I would like in terms of how we're developing the content. Mostly text focused, not a lot of video. We want to get to that kind of realm. Video is definitely up there for me, and I love the interactivity elements when it comes to learning. So if we can find different ways, especially from like an onboarding experience, to have the learners engage actively with the product, super cool. I love the idea of doing what you do on this podcast, right? You leverage some of our strategic partners and you leverage some people out in the industry that have really great thoughts to share. We want to engage them too, right? We, we want to open this up to, to anyone that has something valuable to say that's going to help impact a broader population. 
we just want to continue to touch as many people as we can when it comes to this tool. That sounds great. Yeah. Finally, how can someone start using One Password University and start enrolling in these courses? Yeah. So we've set up an open enrollment plan for it. So you can literally just go to onepassword.university and click the register tab and make an account and sign up. That's really it. We wanted to make the experience of getting into the tool as frictionless as possible. And we really wanted to make sure that any learner could get in there ASAP and get content. We didn't want to have to put too many gates up there in front of people to get to the content. So that's how it works. Just when you get in there, you'll see like there's a course that you can start off with sort of like a jumping off point where it's what One Pass University is all about. There's three different sections in there, learning more about some of the new things that are coming, learning about One Password and then getting into sort of the industry. So there's a few places you can navigate, do one course at a time. You can do the learning plans. It's really open for you. And then as you go through and do specific learning plans, there's a gamification piece there too. So you can get badges and certifications that you can feel proud of, print it, put it on your fridge. I know I've got a couple on my fridge already. So yeah, just <laughs> get in there and you can kind of start to navigate around and see see what's around. That's amazing. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. And I'm sure you'll be on in the future to talk about the next things with One Password University. Oh man, I hope so. Yeah. My goodness. Thanks for having us, Matt. Shall we move on to... Ask One Password. Go for it. We've got a really nice bit of feedback this week from Philip, who said, Oh my God, my head literally exploded out of pure excitement when I found out about One Password University. I feel like Santa has come early and my birthday too. I'm not sure why I haven't heard about it on Random But Memorable from the smoothest voices in the podcast universe. Hopefully you have now, Philip, if you uh, tune into this episode. But I'm very excited about One Password University and I plan on completing all of the courses with a perfect score. The whole website feels simple yet rich with content as well as easy to navigate and so clean. I wouldn't have expected any less of you. All in all, it's just beautiful both inside and out and it made me extremely happy to see this from my very favourite app ever. Keep up the great work. So that was a lovely bit of feedback there from Philip. I feel like that sounds like it came from from Jay or Brandon, uh, if I'm honest. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's too perfect of a piece of feedback. The reason why, of course, we're reading this out after they've left the, the, the show uh, is because their head would, would literally explode it as would. well. Yeah. So yeah, that was lovely. Thank you, Philip. I feel like we've been well and truly spoiled with all the feedback lately. But if you also want to write into the show, you can do so using the Ask One Password hashtag on Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at onepassword.com. Look at that. We have our own email address. We do. Have we had that for long? A couple of months now. Shows how much I pay attention. So it's your favourite part of the week, Matt. I, I hate that this is this way round this week and that you've done ridiculous requirements so i've got to come up with something you're on the guessing side and you've labeled it expert mode which i i also dislike greatly and you don't have root to bounce off this week either exactly yeah so welcome to ridiculous requirements the game where we work together apparently not this week no. uh, to come up with passwords which is also not advised that fit the honestly terrible requirements uh which i'm sure you've seen on some websites out there so, Anna, what are the requirements this week? We have expert mode. The requirements are the password must be obscenely long. It must contain an opposition to the belief that there should not be an official relationship between a country's government and national church. That's one. Second one. It must contain a song featured in Mary Poppins. It must contain the fear of very long words. 
And a fun fact, we have featured this word on the podcast before, if your memory serves you well there. Finally, it must meet a minimum of 95 characters, but be no more than 100. So you're looking at some very, very long passwords there. I mean, <laughs> just, I, just where, where to even start? Okay, so the fear of official, uh, like the the fear of long words, uh, is like um, hippopotamus something, isn't it? It is, yeah. Hippopotamus (laughs) quesadilla. You're quite close there, actually. I might give you that one. Um, I remember the sounds, but not all the the bits of it. (laughs) Hippopotamophilia. Questradelia. Okay, so I'm going to give you that okay. one, but it is in fact, now let me try and pronounce this, Hippopoto Monstrosusquibdialiophobia. Mm. There you I, go. Ironically, I missed the phobia off the end, which was the one yes. bit that you gave. Well me. done. That was the hardest one, so. It's not the hardest one, because I can't for the life of me remember that song in Mary Poppins. Really? do 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 Yep, no. I've just got I've just got Dick Van Dyke in my head. Really? I'm shocked by this, Matt. I'm appalled by your lack of Britishness. Expialidocious. Yeah. Uh, but what's the start? <laughs> oh my god. Everyone's screaming at you right now, Matt. I've just got all of the the fake ones going through my head. Uh supercalifragilistic. Uh, yes. uh, supercalifragilistic expialidocious. <laughs> there we go. Yes. Well done. So I'm right, supercalifragilistic expialidocious. Hippopotamus postrophilia phobia. <laughs> you mean hippopotomonstrosesquibdialidophobia? Yeah, that one. Yeah. Uh, an opposition to the belief that there should not be an official relationship between the country's government and a national church. Yeah. I mean... This is a long word you learn in school as one of the longest words in the English dictionary, I feel. <sighs> it's not like... What's the thing when they're together? It's secularism, isn't it? Yeah, it's nothing in that direction. I'm trying to. I, I'm trying to think about it too much, and I, 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 I don't know. Constitution secularism. No. <laughs> What's the opposite of constitutional secularism? I'll give you a clue as you're on your own. Okay. It starts with anti. Anti disestablishment parli- parliamentarism. <laughs> Is it? It's close. You butchered it a bit, but... <laughs> well, of course I butchered it's it. It's anti-destablishmentarianism. Yeah, there you go. So what's the password, <laughs> All of those put together? You're going to attempt to say it. No, of course I'm not. I didn't even write it down. Like, I didn't have Rue with me, who usually writes them in the Google Doc as we go down. I can't remember the middle bit of the, you know, of the last one. Uh, <laughs> is it a minimum of 95 characters, but no more than 100? I couldn't tell you. It is. Like, we have the first password is 28 characters. The middle password is 34 characters. And the final password is 36 characters. So that's a total of 98. Well, goodness me. If you have got all of those uh, together as a password, uh, it's probably all right. Yeah. I mean, anti-establishmentarianism, supercalifragilistic expialidocious and hippopotomonstrosisquiptialiophobia. Yeah. I mean, the problem <laughs> is that it's not really random, is it? You haven't come up with that magically. Those are just really long words. Yeah. So. And if you have the fear of very long words, I apologise. That's true. For uh, what I've just done. Yeah. Oh, well, that was a trial. 
I can go back to knowing just a portion of the uh, the fear of very long words that has a long word <laughs> and knowing that that can crop up on pub quizzes yes. because that's why I know it. Ah, Perfect. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. I think so. Love you, Matt. Love you, Anna. And uh, we love you, Rue. Uh, that, that's true. Him too. <laughs> <laughs>